please stand for the reading of the word from John 11 and 12. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and were asking one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? Surely he will not come to the festival, will he? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who knew where Jesus was should let them know so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So what could go wrong? These were the words I said to myself just moments before something actually did go wrong. I, uh, when I first came to Abilene, one of the things I did is I took a responsibility of leading a group of young adults from across all denominations in Abilene. I was extremely young, I was ambitious, and I was also naive. And one of the things I wanted to do on the first night that I was responsible for this event is I wanted to make sure that nothing went wrong with it. But little did I know, my world was going to get blown up. What could go wrong with a 19-year-old leading 119-year-olds of all different faith denominations when I came back with one? Just wait for it. I have a volunteer that walks up to me just minutes as we start, and she goes, Zane, they're back. I said, who's back? She goes, the flag people. Who are the flag people? I go and I walk in to the auditorium and I find that there are people that have come worshiping with flags. Now, when I thought flags, I thought maybe like party city flags, you know, kind of like rah, rah, hooray, like that type of flag. No, no. This group of people had flags that were the size of college football flags and they were waving them back and forth and back and forth and no one knew what to do with it except yours truly. I had zero training, zero experience, and I said, we gotta handle this cautiously. We gotta be careful, we have to be gentle. So I kicked them out. And the funniest part about trying to kick them out was that each week they came back. And each week we kept having the same conversation. My Church of Christ background, oof. We couldn't do the flat. I mean, I had more legalism in my blood than a legal notepad, okay? I had read 1 Corinthians once. I knew about keeping order in the assembly. 
And what is embarrassing to me about that now as I look back on it and laugh at it is that it took me months before I asked myself the question, what do they see? What brings them to such passion that they would worship in such an extravagant and beautiful way? What do they see? Welcome to the invitation of Mary in this 12th chapter of John. When we see this moment, we get an invitation to see passionate worship. It's an opportunity to get knocked aside the head by the passion of Mary's worship. It's an invitation to see. If you take the flags and replace them with perfume, you now have the scene set before you. And if this scene feels kind of awkward, it is awkward. Like in any dinner party, if you were going to wash feet, you would do it at the beginning, not during. For Mary to come and use her hair as a towel for the feet would be very strange. And matter of fact, if you were trying to signify something about someone in a kingly manner, you would put oil on top of their head, not perfume on the feet. And there's this moment in this awkwardness as Mary does this, that she is in essence saying Jesus is important and Jesus is about to do something important. But some commentaries have actually said she may not know exactly how Jesus is going to do something important. Now, I want to guide you to verse 30 as we think about the story. If you want to go ahead and put up that verse now, when you get to, uh, Mary took a pound of costly perfume and made of pure nard. Okay, you would never know it in your English translation, but that word pure has taken a lot of words to get to, mainly because not everyone's on the same page with what the word pure is coming from. It could mean the type of oil, of where it's coming from, the source of it. It could mean that the type of liquid that's flowing from it, but also, and beautifully, if I could add, it could also mean the type of perfume in which it is. That word pure comes from the same word faith, pistis, which would actually mean faithful, genuine, trustworthy. And I don't want you to miss this this morning, especially if you are coming to church and you're absolutely burned out on life. If you feel like you are just navigating a day-to-day right now, if you feel like this year has been a rough one, I don't want you to miss this. Because the perfume in which Mary puts on the feet of of Jesus. This perfume, a lot of calculators have been pulled out to try and tell you how significant this perfume is. And it's the equivalent of a year's worth of pay. Last time I checked, you didn't spend all your paycheck on one thing, but multiple things. Mary takes one moment and pours it. This could be her inheritance. This could be her savings, but do not get this wrong. This is Mary's life. I'm going to get to it in a second. Some people see this as something that's wasteful. But the thing you need to hear this morning, church, is this woman who pours her life, her faithfulness out on the feet of Jesus. Jesus finds it 
beautiful and meaningful. What the world will find wasteful, Jesus finds worshipful. And that's something that's beautiful for us to remember. In times when we feel like we are just going at life and we are trying to be faithful to what's put in front of us and we're trying to make sure that we're genuine in it, Jesus sees that as faithful worship. The long hours that you spend doing homework with the kids, the amount of money you spend trying to help the kids get back on their feet, the amount of time you spend in prayer even though you feel that it's very silent, the amount of effort that you put towards keeping those you love in the same room together, it's all beautiful and it's meaningful. It's beautiful worship to Jesus. Now, there is a warning that comes in verse 4. There is a warning that we see. And it's a warning specifically for those of us who hang around Jesus for a while. You actually see that in verse 4 is where this warning comes. And John tells it to you like this. But one of his disciples, Judas who was later to go on and betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold in the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. The one in the room who has been with Jesus for at least three years is the one who has a critique. This is a warning for us as people who hang around Jesus. Now, I understand there is a lot of questions that I bring to the text. A, why is Judas the one that John highlights saying this? Another, if Matthew was a tax collector. How come Matthew wasn't holding the money? And you know what? While we're at it, if tomatoes are a fruit, then why isn't ketchup a smoothie? And if we think, I'm going to go further. If Jesus is the Lamb of God and Mary was his mother, then didn't Mary actually have a little lamb? I know. These are the questions that keep you up at night as well. I know some of you are sickened by that. There's a warning that's close by, a question that you have to ask as you come and you hear Judas' question, a warning that says if you get close to Jesus, you have to watch out that your lips can stay close to him, but your heart can stay far away. That you can actually be near Jesus, but still not be able to track the heart around Jesus. You know, Jamar Tisby has this really haunting line when he talks about human behavior and he talks about history. He says that history doesn't as much repeat itself as much as it rhymes. This text for us today, church, rhymes. Sure, you may not be plotting against Jesus, But we get caught up all the time being critical about what's happening around us opposed to what is happening in us. That we are people that like to watch, observe, question, 
deconstruct, question again. It's not just viewed as cool. It's actually viewed as informed now to always have a strong reaction towards other people. And here's the thing. Critique itself is not bad. Critique is something that you see in the prophets. You see it in Jesus' ministry. But the type of critique that Jesus gives is never one that takes away hope when it comes to the common that he has. What Judas actually says, if you follow Jesus long enough, you may actually think that may be a valid question. When Jesus talked about money, the poor, he was very serious about it. But John is highlighting that the heart matters with the response of this. That what Judas says sounds good more than it is coming from a place that is good. Which people have been highlighting for us over the past decade that this is a major temptation for us as Christians today. That our temptation is to trade out God for goodness. That we trade out seeking God for seeking goodness. That we are perceived as good and we perceive ourselves as good. It's where we start making faith as something that if we tweet correctly, if we vote correctly, and if we no longer use plastic straws, then that is the summation of faith. And that is searching for goodness. Those are fruits of following the king. And sometimes we get so caught up in goodness and we forget about the heart of the king that helps us find that goodness in the first place. John tells you there are two hearts that are in the room. There's a Mary heart and there is a Judas-oriented heart. And the question that John brings you to is as you know that there are two hearts in the room, it also asks you the question of what heart do you bring into this room? Is it a Mary-oriented heart? When you leave people, do you leave something in the room? Do you offer yourself Or do you bring to yourself a Judas heart? And I'll tell you how you can sniff out a Judas heart. A Judas heart starts every sentence inside your mind the same way Judas starts this sentence. Why didn't you? Why didn't we? Why didn't you? Why didn't anyone this is the telltale sign of a Judas heart. One that's not breaking their lives open to ask what Jesus is doing, but one that's critical. And if you follow around your family and your friends and this church with a Judas-oriented heart, you will do the same thing that Judas does in this text. You will miss the way that God's preparing the world for what he's doing. And there's nothing better to think about than that as we lead up to Easter. That a Judas-oriented heart is always going to miss what God is doing and what God is preparing. So we reach Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday where we recognize, just as our kids demonstrate for us, which hats off to them, because as an only child, I don't think I could have ever come up here and done this palm branch waving thing. But we recognize this is the day where Jesus entered into Jerusalem. But here's the thing. 
Palm Sunday always recalibrates us. Because on Palm Sunday, we remember that everyone thought they knew exactly what Jesus was doing. And the only person that actually catches what Jesus is doing is not any of the men in the passage, but this one woman who comes to Jesus and breaks her heart and breaks this perfume, breaks her life over it. The religious leaders are preparing for Jesus, but they're preparing in the wrong way. Judas is preparing in the wrong way. The Mary-oriented heart is the only one who comes in doing the right way. Do you notice that Mary does exactly what Jesus is going to do for the disciples? This is right before. This is what a Mary-oriented heart does. It gets us ready and prepared to where we instinctually do the things that Jesus is going to do for us. It's a Mary-oriented heart. I once heard a uh, professor say that when professors and pastors don't know where they're going to go next when they talk, they just quote C.S. Lewis. That they're just confused, they just go to C.S. Lewis. And with that comment, I say, amen and yes. C.S. Lewis once said this about this passage. He wrote this in a letter to a friend. And he said, the allegorical sense of her great action dawned on me the other day. The precious alabaster box which one must break over the holy feet is one's heart. Earlier, easier said than done, and the contents become perfume only when it is broken. While they are safe inside, they're more like sewage. All of this is alarming. Our faith in Jesus is a continually breaking of our hearts, which is hard because following Jesus, if we get deep into it, and y'all know this better than I even do at my age, when you break your heart open for Jesus, you also allow brokenness to come in. That there are times that are disappointing, there are times that are hard, and our choice is to either be cynical or to lean in and ask, what is Jesus preparing of us to do together? And let me tell you how I think this can be tempting for us as a church. I asked someone a while back, someone that came to our church just a year ago, and I just said, you know, what, what have you noticed as you've been with us, as you've been invested, as you've been here, what do you notice about Highland? And notice, I invited them to ask about this. And one of the things that they said to me I thought was so interesting, they said, I love this church. Have y'all ever noticed how much energy y'all put into how you say things. And I found that observation to be very interesting because I'm also a, a part of that for sure. But also just the observation of it, I think is one for us to just think and receive on. Now, you know, it's important what we say. What we say about God is extremely important. How we go about that is really important. But we gotta make sure that we spend our heart on the things that God cares about the most. Here's what I'm trying to say, bottom line for us. I wanna make sure as we move beyond this season and as we go into this next year, let's not invest our hearts in things that are critical, but invest our hearts in the way that God is preparing us as a church.
This is the thing that sits before us and is important for our preparation. We need to break open our heart and our lives again. I want to leave you with this thought. The Gospels are all about feet. If you know John's gospel, John is all about, if you were to ask John, do you want a Manny or a Petty? He would say Petty every time. John is all about feet. And one of the reasons of that is that John wants you to understand what the life of Jesus is all about. Have you noticed every time Mary is introduced in the Gospels, it involves feet? The first time you met Mary, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to him as a teacher. The second time Mary came, Mary came because Lazarus had died and she fell at the feet of Jesus. And then this third time, Mary comes and anoints the feet of Jesus. Part of following Jesus is wasting time at the feet of Jesus. Church, as you prepare for Holy Week this week, I don't know what way, I don't know what you do on the weekend, I really don't. I don't know which way you need to waste time at the feet of Jesus, but Holy Week is the invitation to waste that time. I think for some of us, we need to go back to Jesus being our teacher. In the midst of trying to cope and survive, we let everything influence us, and now we need Jesus to teach us again. No longer to become disciples of social media or news outlets, but be a disciple of Jesus and be at his feet. I think for some of us, we need to sit at the feet of Jesus with our grief and let it be there. I don't know what Christian cliche did it for you that faith is always being fine, or time will heal or whatever it is, but we need to sit at the feet of Jesus with the grief of this past year. And maybe sit with someone who's an expert at helping us sit at the feet of Jesus with that grief. And then finally, there's some of us who need to anoint the feet of Jesus. We need to get back into the rhythm of being a part of a faith community. We need to get back into sharing life with people who don't just go to the same grocery store as we do. We need to go back to the place of wasting our lives on the things of God because it's where we start to find God again. I hope and pray this week as Holy Week happens, you spend each day in some way wasting your time at the feet of Jesus. Church, there is no time to waste except time to waste at the feet of Jesus. Whether you're in the room with us or if you're at home, would you mind just standing for the sending? Church, as you, prepare, as you prepare for the events of Easter this week, as you walk through Holy Week, may you waste time at the feet of Jesus because it is meaningful and it is worshipful to Him. May you go in peace this week.